Weirdo bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hi, genre junkies. It's Sandra. And this is Scott. And we also have Stitches here. She is very needy today. We don't know what it is, but it's very sweet. It's very sweet. Yeah, she normally, she kind of ghosts when we uh, do the podcast, but she's like, no, I, I need to be in this one. But I think it's just because she loves David Sodergren so much. She is a member of the Church of David Sodergren. <laughs> Yes, the tiniest member, even smaller than Boris. Uh, if you're wondering what the hell we're talking about, you clearly have not been here for a David Sodergren episode. No, we love him so much, and uh, we're going to talk about his third published novel. This one is a novella. Uh, you know, is it? I don't know. Or is I it just a short novel. We should have asked him that. I I feel I I did not get this was this was pretty much full length uh, it's true you know what we'll we'll take whatever we can get from david uh so yes david sodergren is a horror writer from scotland he is an amazing person um we like to consider him our friend even if he doesn't think we are and uh, <laughs> <laughs> kidding 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 um we are huge huge fans of david we've reviewed his other two books and i don't think there's any sign of us ever stopping reviewing david sodergren uh, this novel like I said, is it a novel? Is it a novella? Whatever it is, it's on the shorter side. So we're going to keep it pretty sparse until the spoiler section, because I don't want to ruin a moment of this book for you guys. Yeah, there is definitely things to be spoiled in this book. Uh, I want to say one of the most exciting things about reading David's writing is so far, every book has been different like very different than the last. He really reinvents himself from piece to piece. And he does he does it in a way that is just so masterful. I mean, yes. all of his books sit very firmly in the horror category. Oh yes. Um but but there it's not just it's not all one kind of horror. No. And and this book is no exception, which is why we keep bringing them to your attention because it, it's very unique. You need to be purchasing these books and reading them and discussing with us and then uh, joining the Church of David Sodergren. <laughs> so have you been enjoying anything in a, in a genre capacity before we start chatting? Dead silence. No. <laughs> You've been playing your your Vidya game a lot. It's not really genre related. Isn't it? No. Isn't it magical in theme? It's just a card game. It's Hearthstone. Yeah. That's like magical. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's I, I guess I guess in a way. No, yeah, I have gotten back into Hearthstone a bit. Uh, that's that's really about the extent of my of my. I mean, I, it's been a busy couple of weeks. Yeah, we're super busy. And any like moment that Scott is not doing like this show, producing or reading playing, for or, this yeah, show, or playing Hearthstone, he spends in the garden. Um, and it looks like a freaking wonderland. And like I, I mean, I'm into the garden too. I'm super into it. I'm I'm a little little green witch, but um, Scott has a very very green thumb i it's something i guess i've discovered very recently i'm i'm enjoying it very much it's very cool oh we're also hand raising a caterpillar so that's pretty exciting <laughs> because we can't stop so i am going to tell you guys a little bit about this new book uh dead girl blues and then we're going to talk about it we're going to talk to david and then we're going to go into the spoilers section so i will say for myself um i you know i'm a little bit ahead on our books and so um i've been reading a little further we have some really really exciting thrilling things coming down the pipeline and um not sure if we're actually going to do a review of this or not, but I did read Songbirds and Snakes, The Ballad of Songbirds by Suzanne Collins, the latest Hunger Game books. Book. Bleh. And I, I don't know. What did you guys think? Because I want to talk about this book because it is extremely polarizing and people have a lot to say about it. I think it would be fun to hear some some real opinions from you guys out there because I think it would be fun to, to have a little bonus episode where we talk about the, the pros and cons of it. Yeah, and that's going to be kind of, like I said, it's not quite on the schedule. It'll be a little room to fit it in though. So, so, so we'll see. We're pretty boring people this week. <laughs> You're kind of boring. All right. Let's talk about something 
um, considerably not boring, which would be Dead Girl Blues by David Sodegren. When a young woman dies in Willa Zulowski's arms, it sets in motion a chain of events that will push her to the brink of madness. A mysterious video is the only clue, but as Willow digs deeper into the murky world of snuff movies, those closest to her start turning up dead. Someone out there will stop at nothing to silence her. After all, when killing is business, what's one more dead body? Part noir mystery, part violent slasher, Dead Girl Blues is the latest twisted shocker from David Sodegren, author of The Forgotten Island and Night Shoot. So this, we're going to, oh, okay. So we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about this kind of subgenre of horror with David um, in the interview, which is thrilling. But it's basically, for my horror people, it is very as we say, giallo, you know, that word I can never pronounce, which is <laughs> Italian. And it's that noir slasher is the best way to put it. Um, this is very inspired by that subgenre beloved to many horror fans. And this is kind of like David's interpretation of that. It's in a contemporary setting in Scotland. Okay, let's just first off the bat, we, I think we've done this with David's other books too. He is a wonderful, prolific, beautiful horror writer, but his style is pretty brutal, does not hold back, and consider yourself content-worn. You know what? As, we, as we've often done, we'll put it at the beginning of the spoiler section. Let me go ahead and start with my uh, experience score with this novel. Uh, this book was an obsession for me. It nice. really dug down deep this is a this is if you are familiar with his work this is a darker more psychological horror than his previous works are and um if you're not familiar with his work this is a very deeply psychological horrifying book <laughs> and it it gripped me really hard um it is hard it's difficult um because it's it's very jarring for someone like me who's you know uh not dripping in uh horror influences but that would be me he's referring yeah, to me but it's really good i had to know what was happening i love the main character and and her journey and just what's you know i i had to know where she's going uh you know both as far as plot as well as psychologically it's really really grabbed me deep down and just just held on i'm gonna tell you guys about mine but first let me open up my can of fizzy water <laughs> priorities yep there it is yeah um david is nothing short of um obsession for me with his writing and this was um no excuse not that every book and every author that you love has to be obsession level but um so far we're like three for three with like his books just consuming me until i finish them and that's so cool. That's such a rewarding feeling to have as a reader. Um, we talk again in the interview about this, but I and we kind of hinted at this. I love that David changes up his style a lot with the type of horror books he writes, but he writes horror books for horror fans. No excuses. Like he's the real deal and he loves us and he writes these horror love letters for us to consume. Um um, he adds in social commentary, he adds in some poignant stuff, but doesn't skimp on like gore and creeping you out and disturbing you. And that's, I think, where a lot of us horror fans, that's that's what we love. And I think what's interesting about this one, too, is his first novels, they, they're built on horror uh, concepts, tropes, whatever you want to call them, that I'm familiar with as not someone who is not raised on horror this one is one that i was not as familiar with that i feel like i learned a lot and i learned a lot of like the language of that particular style right of like it, giallo yeah, exactly <laughs> and i i found that to be particular particularly interesting it was to just be introduced to what kind of felt like a whole new genre to me to me I think that's really, really exciting. And um, I am by no means an expert in the subgenre. I've seen the the heavy hitters, the key players um, of it, you know, the special things are gentle and, you know, all, all of it. But um, there's still so much to explore. And it's just a really interesting slice of horror history. So... <laughs> 
So let's see. Let's um, talk a little bit more in a non-spoilery capacity about uh, something that I mentioned in the description, which is snuff. Um, <laughs> snuff films are a straddles the line between real and urban legend uh, for the, you know, kind of quote unquote, like pure real snuff film, which is a movie where people are killed for entertainment value. And it's it's a movie because it's filmed, but it, but it's real. And there's lots of, you know, things you can find out there, especially on the internet, God knows, um, <laughs> of people being killed on camera. But it's not quite the same as what we think of when we think of snuff. And it's a scary, dark part of humanity when you start dipping a toe into this. And David makes it palatable by wrapping it in a mystery as well. I have to say, the, the idea of snuff films fascinates and disgusts me. Yes. But I, I want to speak to something that that you said about urban legend. And it, you'll even hear a bit in the interview uh, in regards to maybe it, it might not be real. I'm a firm believer that any urban legend that is that is based around something that humans have done or do or have created is real. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is I I mean, I'm a conspiracy theorist. And I believe in a lot of stuff and I have no problem believing that this is real, that snuff films are real. Um but it's uh, it's an interesting gray area. Yeah, and what th- and and this book, uh, one of the the main explorations that I got f- I get from this book is kind of the obsession that comes from seeing those. What it would do to a person. What it would do to a person. Yeah. If you know, if you actually were exposed to a real allegedly snuff film absolutely um kind of reminds me of in one of our favorite books heart-shaped box that theme is explored a little bit too heart-shaped box by joe hill my favorite joe hill book um yeah it's sort of interesting because there's always that train wreck factor you know type of thing but at the same time like what does that do to a person um yeah it, it raises interesting questions psychologically. So uh, just really, really briefly, I do want to mention the characters in this book. Um, as always, really interesting, fleshed out characters. And as David has done in the past, it is helmed by a strong female lead. And in this one, we have Willow, who is um, a Polish immigrant in her family. And dealing with that in contemporary Scotland. Uh, She also is a sex worker, uh, dealing with that bias that people have towards her. And she also, um, she she is already a good person, but through having this girl die in her arms, she becomes a very compassionate person, very driven, and just an absolute, I think I call her a gumshoe, just a true seeker, this amateur detective who is like, I'm not going to stop at anything until I get to the bottom of this. And I found her very likable, very admirable. I liked her a lot. And I'm always interested to read a story about someone who is considered to exist on the fringes of society of society yes even though even though i don't feel that they really that 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 you know sex workers do live on the fringes of society i think that that's bullshit of course but, yeah but they're oh, hint we're pro-sex work yeah <laughs> but it, i i'm always interested to read those kind of perspectives and stories that feature people who are looked down upon for just what they do right absolutely what they do or maybe like what their interest is or whatever. Yeah, it makes for um, characters that you become really invested in, for sure. And this book features some very human, relatable uh, relationships on top of that. Yes, definitely. Um, I think everybody's going to really, really root for Willow and just... 
I mean, it's compulsory in this book that you have to know what's happening. I mean, it, we were calling it obsession, but it's also really a page turner because a good twisty, turny, noir uh, feeling thing is a page turner by nature because you just, you have to know the truth and you have to know who's behind this. So appeal score. Yeah. <laughs> You go first. Okay. Um, I think that I've historically given his books an appeal score of niche and have celebrated specifically of just how targeted his books are towards horror aficionados. I'm actually going with a general appeal on this book. I think it is very brutal. I think that there's a lot of people who would not be able to handle the imagery and the content of this book. Mm-hmm. But I think that this the 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 giallo uh themes that that mystery aspect that that almost like procedural drama kind of design i think there's a lot of people who can really get into that even if they're not into traditional horror yeah i see what you mean because um in a way it's not only is it great like you said in a celebrated niche sort of way which i totally understand you know how you grade his books that way on an appeal score but um it also like like you said this was something that you weren't familiar with this was and this is a subgenre that i am in no means a horror expert on. So it can kind of broaden your horizons. And maybe like you don't really consider yourself a horror fan, but you like Jello, or maybe you like noir, or maybe of all the types of horror, slasher's kind of your thing. Like, um, I agree. This is a, a, a like I will say a blossoming general as well. <laughs> but definitely another, as I said, love letter for horror fans and as always he does include like kind of a a soundtrack like sort of watch list guide for you he always throws in a cool media twist like that and i am really mad that i have forgotten that he does that because i remember that i said to myself after what was the second book called uh night shoot i remember i said to myself and i may have even said it on this show that I need to remember that he does this so that I can listen to that soundtrack while reading his next book. And I forgot. And I feel like I have to put like a, like a alarm reminder in my phone to remind (laughs) me just every three months or so, Hey, remember David puts the soundtrack in his book and then, you know, eventually it'll be relevant (laughs) when, when the next book comes out and boy, does he have a lot of stuff that he's working on. I'm, very excited for our listeners to hear that interview and hear about all of the ideas that he has. Well, I guess without further ado, let us introduce David Sodergren. everybody welcome back david sodergren for take two of our interview he's been so gracious as to save us after we had a card corruption on our on our first interview they welcome back david thank you david welcome back to the show thank you for having me it's been so long since we spoke (laughs) 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 all new answers you'll get today some some uh, repeats probably (laughs) (laughs) that's okay because i mean we can't we can't get sick of talking to you we absolutely adore your work uh especially me as the more twisted dark uh i refer to myself as a sicko (laughs) one of the show sickos sickos degenerates (laughs) yes oh but also very well-read people because they are very good books thank you very much (laughs) So I wanted to start with this book specifically, you know, your books are always dark and a little deranged, but this one is darker in a more realistic sense. I wanted to know how you came to this concept and how it got so dark along the way. Well, yeah, because this this one more than my my books have sort of progressed uh, over the three of them from more fantastical 
to quite fantastical to oh, this could almost happen in a way. Um, it's. <laughs> I was I was thinking like you know what I've had these questions before I'm going to be ready with some zingy answers some quick stuff. And I'm like wait what what book are we? That was pretty about? zingy though. That's right. <laughs> We're picking up what you're laying down, I think, because we've talked about how this book is um, more realistic. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. And that's not to say, like, I mean, I, I'm totally fine with the events of the other books happening, but. <laughs> there's always been, I don't know, there's some sort of weird fascination with snuff movies that I, I wanted to write about because there's there's something really scary about the idea of. You know, not just dying, dying itself, being killed by someone is is horrifying. But there's something really creepy about that happening to you, and other people are then paying for the privilege of watching that. You know, other people are are enjoy enjoying that. People who are not even involved in it. There's something really creepy about that, and so I wanted to write about that. And so inevitably, <laughs> it's hard to write about <laughs> snuff movies without it being very dark and unpleasant. That is. Uh, uh, an inevitability with that so that definitely uh came across also the fact that um the world as we know it uh, at, the, at the moment this was it was written uh, pre-pandemic but just with what was going on in the world at the time as well with um in, in my country and then over in your country that sort of depressing dismal atmosphere <laughs> fed into the writing of the book i i believe it definitely came out at a time when it would be very effective. I'll say that. Yes. <laughs> um, I I had the opportunity, I guess, recently to explain to a non-horror fan. Um, I was talking about this book about what snuff is because they were not familiar. And I was like, well, aren't you lucky that you live in a world where you don't know about what snuff is? Um, so I mean, it's it's interesting because, I mean, I think there's a lot of shocking stuff in this book, but there's still a whole other like chapter of readers out there that is going to be like, what? This is a thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's quite interesting um, because while there, there, there are lots of videos out there of people actually dying and things, but the actual the actual idea, the concept of a snuff film has never really been proven as far as i can tell um Same. from my yeah. horrifying research uh, where <laughs> someone is actually murdering someone and then selling it uh, oh actually tell a lie there's there's one there's one uh, i don't want to uh, you know what let's not get into that <laughs> <laughs> less said the better yeah, um yeah i mean because i've like we like we talked about when you're kind of into scary things sometimes you come across stuff on accident and sometimes like i've had people like send me stuff cuz they think like oh She's i don't know they feel enjoy this yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and i i yeah i can't always tell if it's like I mean, I don't, I don't try to watch it, but yeah, you never know. Like, if some of this was like, did somebody profit off of this? I don't know. There's some people. I mean, I joke. I mean, I am a sicko, but it's like even I have standards. My God. Yes, absolutely. Um, th there's uh, a, a Cannibal Joe in the book. Um, he at one point runs through a list of like. No, it, what they're talking about snuff movies, and obviously they they don't really exist. Probably, hopefully, maybe. Um, <laughs> he drew a list of uh, it's what's known as mondo films. So it's it's films. It's it's like sort of films that are using schlocky uh, real life footage um, as a documentary. They, they put it, but really it's just for for gruesome effect. So things like Faces of Death, Mondo Carne. Um, killing of America, things like that, which is as close as you sort of get in the the mainstream world to snuff films, where they use real life footage of from like police cameras and things, um, kind of like your sort of America's wildest home videos, but with blood and guts. Um, is that still a reference that people understand America's wildest home videos, or is that finished in like the nineteen nineties or something? I actually think it's still on. I think it's still on. <laughs> Amazingly, in the world of YouTube, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, most of my readerships in america so i thought i'd try to throw in an american reference i would have said you've been framed over here but most people that read my books would be like what the hell is that i don't know what that 
Um, yeah, and I'm like, it's interesting because I like reading about this stuff in a fictional capacity, but I yeah. don't like seeing, like, I've never been a Faces of Death fan, shall we say. But yeah. um, I like the world you frame it in in your book because we're, we're uncovering it with this really smart, capable, amateur gumshoe lady. Absolutely, yes. So it's because the, the book was written sort of as an homage to the, the giallo films of the of Italy of the sort of 1970s. Um, it is all about it. Normally in those in those films, in the, the, the books that they're based on, sometimes it's someone, an amateur gumshoe investigating a murder. Uh, so I thought it'd be interesting to sort of combine that with the snuff movie trope, if you like. Because um, I, I find the police generally in fiction and in horror in particular are incredibly boring there's nothing as soon as the police show up on the on the film you think oh god they're, they're so uncinematic they're they're wandering around interviewing people they're looking for clues it's like this is not thrilling stuff to read or to see so it, it, it's good to push the police to the side and have someone a bit more relatable someone a bit more likable um who's actually investigating the mystery i think that's more compelling for for readers and viewers i think so yeah I actually have a question about that. Do you have police procedurals? Do you do you enjoy police procedurals? Not really. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can you tell from my portrayal of the police in Dead Girls? <laughs> well, and that's how a lot of people are feeling about the police these days, and uh, proven to be true. That <laughs> so that turned out quite timely, actually. Not unfortunately, but yeah, uh, I'm yeah. Glad I've never written a a particularly likable police character in any of my books. And that, that continues in books to come. Spoiler. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> we love, we love a little, a little teaser. Um, you actually coined kind of your own subgenre term for this book. Would you like to share what it is you call it? Yes. The slasher noir. I love it. Love it. Yes. That, that came about from the, um, I, I I live in my own little Twitter bubble, you know, where everyone that I speak to, everyone that I know, knows exactly what a Jallo is. So I'm like, oh yes, I saw this new Jallo. Oh, I love the Jallo. You know, that's the sort of that, that's how we speak everything. Um, and so when, when I wrote one and I came time to market it, I suddenly thought, oh no, no one, not many people actually know what that is. It's a, <laughs> A real aficionado of Eurocult horror cinema. You probably haven't heard Jallo, and that's that's fine, you know. But the, my problem now is I have to explain what that is. So the Jallo is generally um, it's it's they're often quite colourful and stylish and sexy, and they're more about the style over the substance in many cases. Um, but mine's set in Scotland, where we have no sense of style whatsoever. We were. <laughs> We wear grey tracksuits and we have um, orange marks on the top of our lip from drinking too much iron brew fizzy juice or soda pop. Oh, here we go, yeah. Throwing out the American references left, right and centre. Uh, you're so good. <laughs> um, so uh, mine had, it's, so this one had more of a, a dark, rainy, miserable, noir mystery element to it. So I thought... You know, it's got a bit of the slashing of the Jallo, all the murders, and it's got a bit of the the seedy noirish feel. So I thought slasher noir, let's call it that, and hopefully people understand what it is. Because <laughs> yeah, I think it's fun for for people who are in the know, and then it also um, describes it really well for new horror fans as well. Kind of what they're getting into. It becomes sort of an introduction. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Yeah, because um, introduction to if people want to watch them. Introduce people to the Jallo films, great, or even some old uh, noir movies. That's also great because there's some some really good stuff amongst that. So there's um we kind of talked about the the police thing, but I always admire in your books, like I do in, in like any horror that really sticks with me, that you have um a level of social commentary, and this one touches on you know women's issues, um sex workers rights, uh not only the police, immigrant, you know the immigrant experience in another country. And I think that's really cool. Do you like how in your mind is the social commentary when you write your horror? It's it, when I'm writing, it can often be quite to the forefront. So I, I often don't start out thinking about that as part of the main theme, the themes sort of, or the sub themes kind of develop as I'm writing. And about halfway through, I'll suddenly realize 
like particularly I did use Night Shoot as an example. So mild spoilers for a Night Shoot if you've not read it. Not a massive Lego, don't worry. Um, <laughs> so I was writing, writing that one, and it was just a student film crew. And it was around the time the Me Too movement was starting and things. And so as I was writing it, these these horrible men um, were coercing this woman into taking off her clothes for a film. And that, as I was writing that, I was like, oh, wait, hang on. This is very much a Me Too sort of a, a slasher novel. From there, I just developed the themes further. And so with this one as well, absolutely. I started, started writing as a murder mystery. Um, and then just by virtue of... Uh, so when the police were involved, there was a, I was thinking like you know why you need to think of ways. It's almost using the social commentary to help you as well because you need to think of a way that this character is not going to believe be believed by the police, and it's very simple. Just make them some sort of minority, and from there you can actually you know really work on that and build that theme into it because. Um, as it is, you know, with uh, over in America with you guys and here in Britain, the immigrant experience at the moment is it's it's tough. There's uh, in the UK, you know, we're going through this thing, this Brexit thing, where we're splitting from the European Union, and a lot of it is based on a really uh, gruesome racism and things like that. They keep England for the English, this sort of horrible language, and the similar things happening, of course. Uh, well, all over the world, really. So that felt like something I really wanted to talk about. And horror's always been really good for tackling social issues. Uh, even people will, you know, uh, mainstream critics might not appreciate that. They just think it's all gore and tits, um, which <laughs> are definitely in there. But also, sure. yeah, it is the perfect time to uh, to get a little bit political um, and so on. It's Sometimes I get a little bit too on the nose and I pull it back a little bit. I cut a few things out when it becomes almost preachy. I don't want to be preaching, but also kind of do a little bit. Like, you know, we really have to speak up a bit sometimes. No, I think it's, um, I agree, not preachy, but carrying out the time-honored tradition of horror-reflecting society. Absolutely. It's always been that way, I think, yeah. In case people don't know, Scott and I joke, but we're not really joking, that we have the Church of David Sodegren, and <laughs> we're always out conscripting for the church. So this is our little Sunday service right now. This is great. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a member of the church, but this sounds like the sort of church that uh, I, I would consider joining. Member of the church? You're the leader of the church. <laughs> I'm also the leader and a member. It's beautiful. That's, do I get paid for that? Is that... Um... Uh, we'll work that out. We'll work that at typing. We'll, we'll pass the plate around. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So in regards to messaging, something that I've been mulling over since last we talked, um, th this this story has a really um, strong message as far as like kind of falling into a bit of an obsession over these you know, horrifying images that she's coming across. What, I think we all know where we where we sit on this, but where do you think the line is between enjoying horrifying things and falling into an obsession into the truly horrifying? So really, I mean, it, it's, it's very much a case, I think, of where fantasy becomes reality in terms of like the, the images and things. So, You've got things like Serbian film or something like that, or, or where ugh. you know that film. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know uh, Serbian? Oh film? yes, I do. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. You got that where it's like it, it's it's outrageous and shocking and disturbing, um, but it's also clearly a film. It's very clearly special effects and and, and things. And so if someone enjoys that or like a, oh, I was about to mention a film that my wife hates so much that I'm not allowed to mention the title and she will listen to this interview. Um, Human Centipede. Um, <laughs> where it's like, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's kind of sick and stuff, but if someone likes that, that's absolutely fine. Um, then you've got, on the other hand, things like Faces of Death and stuff where if someone's really into that, then I'm a bit like, yeah, when you're actually taking, I mean, you can take pleasure in someone dying when it's totally fake. Um, you can even cheat it on, you know, whatever. But once it becomes real, I think that's where the the line is crossed for me, um, and I think for most 
most people. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually think that's a really good way to put it because, like, I do like the true crime stuff, which is why a lot of like um, this book, Dead Girl Blues, like you know, really was kind of an extra like level of treat for me. But I like the sense of justice that comes out of it, so that keeps me mm. still being a decent human. That's it's interesting actually, yeah, because um, I have I've always been. You know, obsessed with horror for well over 30 years, well over. Um, but one thing I'd never really gotten into, never really massively enjoyed, was true crime. Mm. Until I started writing uh, this book. Oh. Uh, and it was, I started listening to, I'm sure you've heard of the podcast, uh, Last Podcast on the Left. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I was listening to that and started reading true crime and things. And so that really, really fed into Dead Girl Blues Um because it, it, it's so much more disturbing hearing about the real stuff. It actually was like, I, I, I've had to stop listening to the podcast because I listened to too many in a row and I was just feeling really <laughs> after a while. Um, <laughs> oh, it's unpleasant. Uh, I like how those guys just, they don't celebrate the serial killers, though. They make absolute fools out of them. They show them for the buffoonish, socially inept uh, scumbags that they are. That's what I really enjoy about that show. Um, 100%. Yeah, because these people should not be celebrated. <laughs> these, your dammers and your gaysies and things. Oh, they're just awful. Um, so, yeah, that was a, a big influence on the book was true crime. Um, and I think that's part of why it's such a dark and unpleasant book, because I was pulling from... Uh, reality, uh, whereas my previous books, you know, they're I'm pulling from cosmic horror and cannibals and and inbred yeah. mutants and things, you know. <laughs> um, speaking of past and present works, you know, we would love it if you could kind of further tease us a little on what's coming down the the David Sodergren pipeline. Yes, well, there's a lot. <laughs> Yay! A lot coming. Uh, and let's see. So during lockdown, we've I've been off. I have been off for three months. I'm now back at work, sadly, which is awful. But during lockdown, oh. I was just absolute. I, I decided to see how much work I could get done if I was to quit my job. Hey, and right full time. <laughs> and I came out with a. Um, five <laughs> five books uh, so the first of which is my next release which is going to be Maggie's Grave which I'm hoping to have out in October um, mm -hmm. so I'm onto a fifth draft I'm currently working on just now with that one I had started that one before that is a major return to wildly imaginative crazy supernatural horror in the vein of um I say in the vein of Forgotten Island, although that was more cosmic Lovecraftian horror. This has more of a, mm. a creeping folk horror vibe. <gasps> um, folk term they're bandying around a lot. I think of things like uh, Wicker Man and um, Blood on Satan's Claw, things like that. Oh my God, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a modern film just came out based on a, a great book by Adam Neville um, called uh, The Ritual. It's fabulous. Yeah, so think along that sort of line, maybe Pumpkinhead, stuff like that. That is my next release. I'm very excited about that. There's a couple of scenes in that where I've, I've, yeah, I hadn't read it for, for months from my previous draft, and I'm, I'm sitting smiling thinking, oh, that is horrible. <laughs> you can't see it, but Sandra is flailing across the I'm room. Like She's pin, so I'm excited. I'm like pinwheeling my arms like a bird trying to take flight. I love Focor. Well, yeah, this is definitely a very Scottish, set in the mountains, um, in the countryside, Scottish Highlands, beautiful, scary. Oh, yeah, that, that's my next one. I'm very excited about that. Uh, that should hopefully be going out to beta readers by the end of the month. Um, I've got my cover art, and the cover art as well. Because I went back to, back to the supernatural horror, I thought I'd go back to the cover art from Forgotten Island, which was done by Trevor Henderson. Yay! Twitter, slimy swamp ghost absolutely incredible artist uh so he's done the cover for my new one and it's really cool <laughs> um after that uh, i should say my next release after that's probably going to be um it's it's a horror western that i've co-written with a canadian author called steve stred loveliest man in horror so sweet Aww. um so we have been planning this since 2018 it was actually uh, mentioned at the end of night shoot the navajo nightmare so we've 
all written that one, and that is absolute tons of fun. So it's a full-length novel. Um, we wrote about 25,000 words each. I'm handling the uh, half the story, like a backstory. He's handling the present day sort of thing. Um, we wrote that in um, a couple of weeks. It just spilled out. It's, very, it's a great one. After that, we've got a couple of... Uh, <laughs> There's, there's going to be a novella I'm not going to mention. There's going to be a short novel. And then there's the, my next novel after that, which uh, I think I mentioned last time, but I said far too much, way more than I meant to. So I'm just going to say it's a love story that is very, very strange. Ooh. <laughs> okay, this is great. This is a lot of good stuff to look forward to. You are like prolific you are prolific like when do you have time to like care for boris the beautiful pug like he just sits ne- he's my muse he sits next to me and snores and occasionally sneezes and i think he sneezes ideas onto the laptop or something i don't know how it works some sort of pug sorcery ah! speaking of pug sorcery you actually um when we did this interview the first time you totally clocked us because we missed the pug and we've since gone back to uh find the the pug there's always a hidden pug in every in every novel there absolutely is yeah in uh, dead girl blues there are um two two pugs two excitable pugs um Original. This is a, this is a spoiler interview, isn't it? Yeah, so I can people will presumably have read the book. Yeah, that's thing. Yeah, yeah. Because originally the pugs, it was the woman, but the pugs found the body impaled. But I thought, no, I don't want the pugs to see that. So they they, they just um, they pass the pugs. She passes the pugs um, on the way to the garden. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do. What's really difficult is trying to put a pug into a horror western. Still working <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there any supernatural elements at all? Sorry, is, are there any supernatural elements at all in that pug in that pug western <laughs> in the horror western? Why oh, ideas? <laughs> uh, horror, yes, yes. It's um, uh, it, there are definitely strong supernatural elements in it. Yeah, I'll oh. say that. A spiritual pug. A spiritual pug. Perhaps a character <laughs> named Pug. I don't know. I'm just sorry. I'm just sorry at it. That, yeah, the character name Pug is one idea I've had. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I love that you didn't want the Pugs and Dead Girl Blues to, like, find the body. I mean, it's like, I could almost see Boris's hand, like, reaching out, like, you've gone too far, Father. <laughs> well, after the end of the Forgotten Island, I don't think I can go much further. <laughs> <laughs> but that Pug got right involved. Oh, of course, um, yeah, that I suppose I should mention Forgotten Island 2 is being worked on as well. But that's... Uh, that's a fair, fair little bit off that. Um, I've got half the story completely uh, sort of outlined, but the second half still working on. But yeah, 2022. <laughs> Ooh, no, that'll be Something cool. Something to look forward to in 2022 and a whole lot more to look forward to before then. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it's been quite fun because normally, because um, you, you've got uh, these terms might seem silly if you've not been, if you've not, uh, if you're not a writer, but there's, um, there's two ways of writing a book, really. That generally, generally, um, two ways: a plotter or a pantser. That's the the two. So a plotter would sit and plot out their book beforehand. Uh, I I generally do that chapter by chapter, plot out the entire story, um, and then write it from that outline. Or the other way is pantsing it. So I think just you know, flying by the seat of your pants. Um, and so that's what I did for the first time during the lockdown. Was I just thought, right, um, I've got this idea i'll just start to write it see what happens and then you just hammer it out so that's why i managed to write um so many (laughs) during lockdown because i just uh, blasted my way through it without uh, sort of thinking beforehand it's very different because if you're plotting it you're kind of editing the book before it's even been written because you can plot the whole story out and look at it and go right okay the pacing seems okay that bit's a bit dry there's three chapters here where nothing's happening i'll move this around um so i think it's, it's removing a layer of editing by plotting it the normal way but it's been a lot of fun just scribbling down stories and seeing what happens because i'm like learning the story myself as it goes are, do you think you're going to change your your normal process now that you've pantsed it, or do you think <laughs> do you think that there's place for both in your process? I think there's place for both. Um, for something like Dead Girl Blues, that would have been impossible to to, to pants it. Oh, it's such a stupid term. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I, there's a, like when you pull down someone's pants as a practical joke, that's yeah. called pantsing them. Yeah, 
I love it. <laughs> so that yeah, yeah, that that book had to be plotted because it was so dense and and so much happening and. Uh, you know, if you're doing some sort of murder mystery, you can't just be writing it and then at the end go, oh, so who is the killer? You know, because if you do, then you have to rewrite the entire damn book. Um, <laughs> so definitely some things I'll need to plot out. Some things I'll just make up. I'm going to say that instead. <laughs> I'm just going to make it up as a go. Let, let Boris speak to you with the, with the sorcery. Yes, his magic sneezes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We're not going to keep you any later on on your second recording. <laughs> we're so where, incredibly where grateful. Where can people find you on the internet, on social media? The best place to find me is on uh, Twitter. Uh, so that would be at, at paperbacks pugs. So that's just, it's like and, but no A or D because Twitter is weird. <laughs> or Instagram, uh, paperbacks and pugs. Uh, Twitter is the I'm, I'm way more active on there though, and I post a lot about um, dodgy horror films from the 1970s. So if, if that appeals to you, <laughs> <laughs> and it should. But if you prefer to just look at pictures of a very handsome pug, then go to the Instagram one because that's all that is. Yeah, he poses with books. It's it's beautiful. Like, what are you even doing with your life if you don't follow Boris on there? It's Boris's very- account. <laughs> Thank you again, David. Fantastic job on the book. And we look forward to so much more. Absolutely. There's plenty more to come. And thanks for talking to me again, guys. It's always a pleasure. You're doing a fine job. Cheers, guys. Little Foley. That was really effective. Are you being sarcastic? (laughs) All right. Time. Yes. All right. Welcome back. As promised, we're going to uh, cue those trigger warnings, uh, content warnings. So there's sexual abuse in this book. There is sexual assault. Um, I guess you would say verbal and physical. Mm-hmm. And there is also um, content warning for suicide. Yes. All right. So we obviously kind of gushed about this book um, in the spoiler free section in the interview. And uh, the spoiler section is going to be no exception. There's a lot of like rhyming, like, like couplets I just did, and I didn't mean to do them. Um, <laughs> so thank you again, David Sonnegren, for that interview. It's always so cool to get to talk to the people that write the books that we read. It's amazing. Um, it always is, is just a humbling and empowering thing. We love our authors. We love, love we love all of our authors. And we love you, David, especially for doing it twice with us. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the cringe. So I want to start and I want to start this spoiler section and talk about some of the deaths in this book. Sure. Because these deaths are brutal. Yes. And the first one that really comes to mind is her co-worker and the fence. Oh my god. The one that we had to shield the young pugs from. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the way that it's described of her just being skewered on this fence post, I could see it. Yes. And I could feel it. Yes. Like I, I could hear it. Like all of my senses were turned on for this description. And I was not prepared for that because th- there was, there was the initial death in the book before that. I think this was the second death in the book. It, I mean, outside of her actually seeing the snuff film and what was described in there, which is horrifying, but there's something about it not being, being separated by a screen mm-hmm. that made it more visceral and more real in the book. And it's like, it's so ridiculous the the way that it's described. Oh. I, like it's ridiculous. Oh. It's it's gratuitous, <laughs> but it's beautifully gratuitous. Yeah. And it's effective while also being kind of the one fun death of the book. Well, and like the whole time when, you know, she she makes the call and she's going to do all this. As, you know, an audience, as the reader, I, I was just screaming at her like, the fuck are you doing? Stop. Um, did you catch that she was American? It did feel like she was American or maybe... If she wasn't American, like she was trying to like be American or something. She referred to like American, uh, I I think it was not the FBI or the, but he was, she was referring to American organizations. And so I, I appreciate 
that he made arguably, almost inarguably, the dumbest character in the book, uh-huh. an American. <laughs> and I, 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 I caught that, yes. <laughs> David, and I feel a little hurt, but I also am very gleeful of that. Um, this book features some of David's uh, classic dark and kind of gallows humor and stuff thrown in there too. Definitely not as much as his other two published novels, but um, it is in there. And I always appreciate that little bit of levity that he he throws in. Willow especially, like I just like her personality and her attitude. So she has some pretty funny thought processes. Um, gives you a little reprieve from the horror. There's a lot of wonderful references in this book um, to, you know, kind of faux snuff films like the American Guinea Pig series. Um, I think Campbell Holocaust is mentioned, uh, The Killing of America, different things too. And that's just kind of shows, as always, that David, uh, you know, he's he's the real deal. He means what he says and he researches and he knows his stuff. He clearly did a lot of research for this novel. And, you know, some of it he may have seen beforehand and, and informed the writing of it. But you can tell a lot of this came after to really just kind of to really, you know, get himself knowledgeable on it. So one thing I want to um, talk about, especially, is, as I said, uh, David always puts in great social commentary in his books. And this one is, dare I say, the most heavy-handed yet, with he's really making a point um, about how we treat the death of not only women in our society, but especially women on the quote-unquote fringes of society. Um I highlighted a couple parts in this book. <laughs> a couple parts? <laughs> yeah, you highlighted the half the book. Yeah. Um, and she, Willow even talks about, uh, you ever hear about the less dead? It's people who live on the fringes of society, minorities, sex workers, um, you know, you think a junkie or a prostitute's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're kind of getting what we're saying here. And she says at one point, too, so did I. I take drugs. A few years ago, I made some pornos for cash. So f***ing what? Does that mean I deserve to die for some sick entertainment because of who I am or where I come from? Stuff like that where it's like, oh, thank you. Like, yes, that is it. Exactly. He always, he means it. And he gets a lot of um, flack from people thinking that he hates women or that he's making light of, you know, the way these people get treated. And he's not like he's doing the time honored horror tradition of holding a mirror up to our society. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I I feel like he has like, like David's always done a really good job of, of writing female characters. And they go through some horrible things in his books. And I understand where some people could take uh, issue with that. But it always seems to have a purpose, I feel. Yeah. And uh, in this one, too, like I said, it touches on... Uh immigrants and how they're treated and how law enforcement often treats people um, who they'd rather not deal with. (laughs) Uh, All really topical, topical stuff that affects a lot of people's lives. Um, I like the way that he treated the relationship with the police officer, because there was a moment in there when I felt like this could end up being a love interest as, as awful as he is, as, as just like disgusting as he was, there was a, there was one scene where he seemed human for just a moment and kind for just a moment. It's like, maybe this is a front. Maybe he's redeemable. Maybe this is going to be a love interest. And there is no way that that was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. But he set that up in a way where his eventual, where his, where where the realization that he was kind of one of the people who was in on all of this was, was actually a bit of a surprise. Oh, yes. Um, kind of, oh gosh, plot wise, almost leading up to that surprise, that big twist is, I have to say for me, probably the most intense part of this book 
is the lighthouse scene and everything leading up to the lighthouse. I, oh my God, talk about screaming. I felt like I was like screaming at the top of my lungs, like turning my throat bloody, being like, Willow, stop, (laughs) stop what you're doing. But she is stubbornly determined to get justice for Jessica and to live up to her father's journalistic truth-seeking integrity. And I love her and admire the hell out of her for that. But I was just like, girl, Willow, please, please. And I had to highlight that part too. Where was this shotgun-toting freak taking her? Idiot. She had forgotten the first rule of investigating a snuff porn ring. Don't go into lighthouses with greasy slobs carrying guns. It was good life of <laughs> it was good life advice all around. And yet So it's interesting that that you I know that you very much took her going into this whole thing as as getting justice for Jessica. Yes. I I well, and part of, that was part of it. Part of it is yeah. I took the her drive in a very different way in this book. And and it's kind of my favorite part about this book is that it it became an obsession for her. I didn't even see a lot of it as being justice related so much as that being an excuse for herself for her just obsession and fall into you might even say madness because of uh, because of something being broken when she got when she when she um introduced herself or was introduced to this world this fetish if you will um i mean here's the thing is i don't think it has to be one or the other i think that that kind of descent into this obsession is part of it i think that justice for jessica is part of it um and also kind of representative of justice for herself and for other people whose society throws away like trash and then also um living up to her father as i said i I think it's all of those things i'm not saying that my take is right or wrong i'm saying this is the way that i this is the way that i enjoyed it yeah and i'm saying i agree with you i also (laughs) think those other two points i think it's i think it's a lot i think there's a lot going on um of course we must talk about the end and those horrid horrid bourgeoisie people and getting their just desserts is beyond satisfying beyond satisfying they are evil they are evil and they are they weirdly are... funny darkly funny in a way too yeah so so this book uh is not as fun or or tongue in cheek as his other novels but but he makes up for that with these just these complete evil bougie rich people and we all know that that archetype yeah very concerned with what other people think of them very keeping up with the joneses very like you have to look act and purport yourself in a certain way to be successful and if you do not meet those standards you are less than human and money is their real god It is their God, and they take a lot of pride in however they get it, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay. So, <laughs> David, David, the man takes the head to the beach. I mean, if that's not a children's picture book waiting to happen. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. Don't write a children's book, David, about taking a oh, decapitated do. head to the please. beach. And I would then, absolutely read it, And then David putting topic. a gun to one, one's own temple. <laughs> um, what a interesting way to end that character. It was. There really wasn't a chance in hell that I could see any of these characters having a happy ending. Too much has gone on. Too much has happened. They're, they are too... They're too broken. They're too obsessed. They're too d- hurt. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but the madness, the just madness. the pure madness of that, the way that that and the next part we'll talk about is written is so cinematic that, <gasps> yes. It, you know, it is rare that this happens to me in a book, but this is one of those situations where I can visualize it as if I saw the movie. Yes. I will not be surprised if I ask you in a couple of years, what movie yeah. was it where he has the head in the, in the passenger seat <laughs> and he's and driving to the and beach lolling about. And, <laughs> and then the next scene, which even more so is 
well, let's just let's just talk about it. When yeah. she's when she's in the fifty foot deep pit in the in the pool of bodies, I think that's sinking. a literal a literal cesspool. It is a yes, <laughs> and she and she's sinking into uh, it. Um, there is. I mean, there was something darkly gothically poetic about it for me um i mean i was sad of course to see willow meet such an end but at the same time it's like was she ever going to recover from what she went through and she found her answers and she took out bad people and she she did right by jessica and so there's a lot of ways that it's like okay Perhaps she's flown too close to the sun, but she didn't go out without a fight. No. And, you know, and I think she achieved a lot of those goals, too. She achieved the right goal in a way that did compromise her humanity, ultimately. The the book is, is about her struggling to keep her humanity, even though it's being stripped away from her because of this world that she's been introduced to. Yeah. And by the end, she's killed an innocent. She's killed not innocents. Yeah. She's killed multiple times. And there's kind of a message in this book that there is not really a return from that. Yeah, and killing's not good. No. <laughs> And I think so, it's also a message. And so she did it for the right reasons, but she compromised her humanity. Sure. And yeah. and the, the the imagery, the symbolism of her sinking, sinking into it into yeah. death yeah. is very powerful. It is very, very powerful. Well, bravo, David. Um, my mind is kind of wandering a little bit right now because I'm thinking to the children's book of taking the <laughs> severed head to the beach and like, there's like a panel where he buys it an ice cream. There's like, they're gonna play like some boardwalk carnival games. Maybe they're on a tilt-a-whirl and the head's kind of like rolling around. And I see this is why I love David. Using the head at the basketball game <laughs> <laughs> way to go dad the head is saying like in a little caption <laughs> oh my god see david you and i are meant for each other <laughs> excuse me <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry what was that i won't take it back i said what i said um, <laughs> uh oh cinematic yes david is well, he has a film background. And so a lot of his scenes are gloriously cinematic and in such a way that like you really see the picture and it's really painted for you. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's hard to say because it's haunting imagery. But again, I, I keep coming back to the lighthouse scene. And for me, that was so oh cinematic of just this kind of lamb to the slaughter uh which i don't support the slaughter of lambs either by the way <laughs> but um of like she's going towards this thing and she kind of knows what she's doing but she kind of doesn't and it's like this conspiracy that she's kind of wrapped in and the way that she's treated so inhumanely and then the girl she meets within the lighthouse and all of it i just i saw it playing out before my eyes i saw the lighthouse it's like i could feel like the the wind coming through this wooden structure and whatever it was just so gripping what i love about the lighthouse is i feel like i'm one of those 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 film theory people who break down a movie and talk about well what do i think really happened at the end of this or what do i really think the 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 director's meaning the subtext behind oh, something was you mean like i do on every episode of spooky slumber party in the cult show exactly um th this book really like like lit that candle for me because when she breaks through the window in the lighthouse scene just to, to to stop the murder quote unquote there there's a part of me that I feel that I feel like subconsciously she did that because she wanted to get involved. Yes. She it was it, like, yes, she wanted to stop it. She wanted to save the girl. All of that's that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I think I think that her 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 id or I think that deep down, I think that her subconscious was telling her you want to be in this world. You want to be involved in this world. You want to be involved in this scene. I think that I, I really do interpret this book. And David, if you didn't mean it this way, I don't want to know. 
<laughs> I interpreted this book as her actually wanting to be the killer that she became. Interesting. I think that's a very interesting perspective. And I think that, you know, good writers, good filmmakers, they want people to interpret their work, you know, how it makes sense to you and how it like is like a true and honest experience for you as the viewer or as the reader. Um, I think about it as more <sighs> somewhere between selfless and martyrdom uh, is, you know, that she's she is willing to die for this cause. And it's a little self-serving in a way that a lot of martyring is, right? Yeah. Um, not to not to say that I I dislike her. It's because she, I think maybe deep down, she wanted her life to mean something like really like, and like, I keep going back to her father, but like how, you know, to kind of make her parents, especially her father proud of like having a real impact and standing for something. And plus it's just badass how she just goes in there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I guess we've got to say goodnight to David Sodergren, Willow, and all of our horrifying friends. Yeah. But uh, are we going to give this a score or are we just going to kind of, we kind of, I think you guys all know what our score is going to be. I mean, it's many severed heads out of many severed heads. It's, 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 it's five pugs out of five. Ah, Oh, pugs is nicer than severed heads. Uh, Daughter severed heads. Um, Pugs. Yes. Happy smiling pugs that do not need to see the carnage and the evil that men do. All right. Thank you again, David, for joining us tonight. It was a pleasure as always. Thank you, Boris, for putting up with our antics while we spoke to David. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Stitches. Thank you, listeners and readers. And as always, please keep reading past your bedtime. (laughs) 